your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 9. We're going to be looking where we left off the week before last. Romans 9, beginning at verse 30 through chapter 10. But actually, before I get to Romans 9, I'm going to um, take you through just a quick summary of Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son. So I want you to have kind of that vision, what was going on with the prodigal son as we look at Romans 9, because the context is so uh, similar. Uh, and the, the, Luke 15 is an illustration. And sometimes looking through this illustration, it'll make Romans 9 so much easier. In Luke 15, Jesus had been um, preaching and teaching and gathering to himself a lot of sinners. A lot of, a lot of bad people were hanging out with Jesus. And Luke 15 starts this way. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So the whole context is uh, Jesus is receiving sinners, and the church folks, the scribes and the Pharisees, were grumbling and stumbling over that fact that he was receiving sinners. Now let's define sinners in two ways. Number one, a sinner is somebody who doesn't do good works, and he's not keeping God's law, okay? And these people, tax collectors, they were cheating. They were stealing from people. They weren't keeping God's law. They weren't doing good works. Pharisees and scribes said, these people aren't possibly going to heaven. Why does he spend time with these folks? And then he brings up the illustration to solve their stumbling dilemma this whole illustration of the prodigal son. The prodigal son has a brother, remember? The older brother. Let me read you his response. Verse 28. He became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. When the son of yours comes home, he's devoured your wealth with prostitutes. He's killed, you've killed the fatted cat for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me and all this time, all this mine is yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost and has been found. What's the point? The older brother was doing the same things the scribes and Pharisees were doing. He was grumbling and complaining that his dad was throwing a salvation party for a brother that did not keep the law and did not do good works. What's with that? Why are you celebrating a person that doesn't keep the law and doesn't do good works? And Jesus' point is, he was lost when he wasn't keeping the law and doing good works. He was, yes, a sinner. He wasn't found, but now he's found. The lost has been found. And salvation has occurred. A lot of times, we stumble and we miss salvation because we think gaining heaven is keeping the law and doing good works. The scribes and Pharisees thought they would gain heaven by keeping the law and doing good works. The older brother thought 
he would gain heaven by keeping the law and doing good works. And yet, the lost are found who aren't keeping the law and aren't doing good works. Do you get it? Lots of people don't get it. They miss it all the time. Salvation is from death to life, from being lost to being found. Salvation is not doing a little good works and learning to do more good works. It's not keeping a little bit of the law and then learning to do more of the law or do the law more perfectly. That's not salvation. Many people are stumbling and missing salvation because they're looking for a little bit more. They're looking to try harder and they are stumbling and missing grace and faith in Christ. And you may be there too. There's a lot of preachers missing it and preaching a message of just getting better and just trying harder and just doing the law. The scribes missed it. The Pharisees missed it. The older brother missed it. In the book of Romans, the Romans were missing it too. And that's why the Apostle Paul brings this up. Many people just don't get it. Give a quick illustration. Remember the thief on the cross. Jesus was dying and there's a thief that goes to heaven. Didn't keep the law. He, Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. I mean... He was on the cross for doing a lot of bad stuff. He was not doing good works. He was not keeping God's law. And yet he goes to heaven. You have to account for that. That's not the way to salvation. Keeping the law and doing good works. Yet many people stumble over it. Like, I thought that was what I needed to do. I'll give you another illustration. Think about your neighbors. I bet if I took a survey... Most of you would say, at least most of you, would say, 10 out of 10 of my neighbors are good people. And the reason you would say that is because you live in the South. Now, if you lived in California or Chicago or New York City, you wouldn't have near that kind of stat. But we talk to our neighbors, regardless of where they are in Christ. Well, he's a good person. You know, if, if your neighbor was right beside you, oh, this is your neighbor? Tell me, is, is he a good person? You would say, oh, yeah, he's a good person. 10 out of 10. Good people. But do you realize eight of those ten are probably going to hell? Eight of ten are going to hell. Good people are not a shoe in for heaven. It's not doing good works. It's not keeping the law of God that gains us access to heaven. It's so easy for us to miss it, to stumble upon it. And that's what Romans 9 is all about, to make this crystal clear. I've given you an outline. It kind of reads in succession. You are stumbling and missing salvation if you think salvation is gained by being good. If you think salvation is gained by keeping God's law. And if you think hearing and believing Christ is not enough. You are stumbling and missing salvation if you think salvation is gained by doing good. Let me read Romans 9, verse 30, and uh, all the way through chapter 10, verse 3. It says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, okay, Gentiles, that's non Jews, uh, 
Not pursuing righteousness. In other words, they're not trying to keep God's law. That was a Jewish thing. Though these Gentiles who didn't pursue it, they attained it. They attained righteousness. Even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel pursuing, so this is the Jew, Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at the law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They thought, you know, you gain heaven by works. Notice the next phrase. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. So they stumbled. And they missed it. And the stumbling stone is, behold, it's a quote, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And who who believes in him will not be disappointed. Brethren, chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. See, they didn't get salvation. They were missing it. I testify about them that they have a zeal for God but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. A lot of people are stumbling. Thinking, trying, working to get righteousness on their own. I just need to be a good person. You've heard testimonies, haven't you not, where somebody is uh, drunk, on drugs, passed out, and they get saved. Right? We believe they generally got saved, right? They got saved while being a party man. They got saved while they're passed out, literally. Come to and say, I need Jesus. In other words, we believe the party man can get saved before the person who was trying to be good, trying to keep the law, trying to be respectable. Salvation is not based on trying to be good and trying to keep the law. A lot of people stumble. That's where Romans 9.30 starts. These Gentiles, people who were not even trying to be righteous, they were just party men. And yet they attained righteousness ahead of the people who were trying not only were they trying, chapter 10, verse 2, says they had a zeal, zeal for God and what would be righteous in God's eyes. They had a zeal for it, and they were missing it. So easy to stumble and miss salvation. I remember I was uh, canvassing a neighbor with another pre- neighborhood. Actually, it was a trailer park with another preacher uh, one day, and um, a man came out of his trailer to protect the park, you know, big guy. Hey, what y'all doing? I said, well, we're just out here telling people how they can get to heaven. He said, oh, that's okay. All right. So what's your name? I said, Junior. Uh, Junior, are you going to heaven? He said, oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? He said, no, not at all. I said, how do you know you're going to heaven? He said, ah, oh, that's easy. I'm doing what the good book says. I was curious. I said, can I ask you one more question? He said, sure. What does the good book say? He says, well, the good book says to do unto others as you have yourself to be did by. (laughs) And I thought, he's probably missing salvation. 
Because the basis of his salvation is being a good neighbor. He's a good person. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? That's all we need. Just be a good neighbor. And yet he was not attaining the righteousness of God. He was stumbling and he was missing. And there's a missing it. And there's lots of people who miss. Paul says, I testify about them, verse 2, that they have a zeal, zeal for God. But they don't get there. Why? Because we are born in sin. By nature, we are sinners. And your good works never solves your nature problem, your sin problem. We are a bad, a bad group of eggs. We're all bad eggs. No arrangement of bad eggs ever makes a good omelet. No matter how good or how great the quality or quantity of your good works, it never achieves the righteousness of God. And so many people die thinking, well, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've been good enough. And their hope, their faith is in keeping the law or in doing good works. The answer is not those good works. It's Christ. Verse 33 says, behold, of chapter 9, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling, a rock of offense. Who's that? That's Christ. The rock's Christ. We'll see it as we keep going. It says right there in that verse, he who believes in him. That's who we're talking about, Christ. The answer is Christ. The answer is not our good works. It's not our righteousness. If you want to get saved, the answer is not activity, but it's receptivity. It's not activity. You do more good. It's receptivity, Jesus said in John 1, as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be children of God. It's receptivity. It's not a problem, a matter of effort. It's a matter of faith. It's not, I just need to try harder, do more. It's no, as many as believe him, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's faith. That's what the Bible says. It's not our doing good works. Receptivity, not activity. Faith, not effort. Many good people are convinced in works, in zeal. Paul says, verse 1 of chapter 10, My heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Do you know anybody that's a good person? Well, yeah, you just said 10 out of 10 of my neighbors are good people. Do you know people who have a zeal? They, they will do anything for you. They are zealous for good works. And yet they are not saved. Paul says, I pray for them. I'm asking you and encouraging you, pray for those people who are good people because they are stumbling and missing salvation if their faith is in their good works. If they hope they are good enough and their works are good enough. 
they're stumbling. Like the Pharisees, like the scribes, like the older brother, like the Romans. And it goes on and on and on. There's a stumbling block that many people trip over. And he is Christ. Instead of believing Christ is enough, that I got to do these good works or I won't go to heaven. We're stumbling and missing salvation if you think salvation is gained by doing or by being good, doing good works, being good. Also, we're stumbling and missing salvation if you think it's gained by keeping God's law. Romans 10, verse 4 through 13. Verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Many of us have been trained in a legal moralism. We believe we must keep the law of God to be pleasing to God. And we get right legalistic about it. Verse 4 is saying, um, Christ is the end of the matter. Verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the only one who's fulfilled the law. Christ was born a virgin Mary, which means he was born not by nature bad. He was born by nature innocent. He was the only one born innocent. As a result of being born innocent, and then as a result of living 33 years, perfectly keeping every single law God had commanded, he then could provide for us a righteous substitute, a perfect, complete substitute. Stayed innocent, was innocent, stayed innocent, perfectly obeyed. End of the matter. That's what verse 4 is about. Christ is the end of the law. He fulfilled it. He completed it for righteousness. Anybody who wants to be righteous by keeping the law, only one has succeeded. Christ, end of the matter. You can't keep it. I can't keep it because we don't have the ability to do so. We were all born under the law. We were born in, in sin. We were born with a sin nature. We, we, we didn't have innocence going for us. And we certainly haven't kept God's law perfectly since. There's none of us who fulfill the standard. That's what verse 4 is about. Sometimes people get verse 4 uh, confused and say, well, the end of the law means we don't need the law anymore. That's not what it's talking about. That's not the context here. We still need the law. The, the law has many uses. And we still need the law. It's a tutor that leads us to Christ. We need the law that points us to the only one who fulfills it. It's Christ. We still need the law as a moral standard. Yes. It's God's standard for righteousness. So we keep the law as, as His standard. We, we, the law is also our love language to God. Jesus says many, many, many times, if you love me, you keep my commandments. It's my love language. It's, it's the manner in which we, we have this pleasing relationship with God or sustain it. But it's not something we do to gain salvation. Only Christ has been able to do that. Christ ended the matter that righteousness could be achieved by the law. Christ achieved it. And notice the next phrase in verse 4. Then you see the context. To everyone who believes. We don't keep the law to gain salvation. We believe Christ who kept the law and earned salvation. We believe in Christ 
Christ ended the matter of the law. There's some preachers that are preaching. We need to just get unhitched from the law, unhitched from the Old Testament. If you, if you read this verse and say this means we need to just depart from the law because the law has ended, that's not what it's saying. The whole book, Romans 8 says the law is holy. Romans 15 verse 4 says everything that was written in the law beforehand was written for our instruction and our faithfulness and our endurance. God's not throwing the law out in all of its uses, but he's saying Christ ended that whole process of earning salvation. Christ alone, no one else will ever get in that game and earn salvation by keeping the law. Only Christ could do so. Only Christ did. He ended it. We need to believe Christ did it for us. Martin Luther figured it out in chapter 1 of Romans. He says, I, I figured out man lives by faith. The just shall live by faith, Romans 1.17. In other words, I need to believe in Christ. Martin Luther was one of those guys who was really zealous for good works and keeping the law. And he says, I finally realized I won't ever attain salvation that way. I just need to believe. Christ ended it. Christ is the one who's fulfilled it. I need to believe in him. And then he gives us an illustration in Romans 10, verses 5 through 8. If, if you were indeed earning salvation by keeping the law, what else would you have to do? And verses 5 through 8 kind of point that out. Verses, verse 5, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on law, shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. In other words, let me make it a little simpler for you. If you want to earn salv you know, salvation by keeping the law, you've got to be able to go to heaven, right? And you've got to be able to connect with God, bring Christ to you, you to Christ. You also have to deal with the grave. You're going to die, and the wages of sin is death. So can you go down into the grave and come up again? See, it's just a really an illustration. You don't have the ability, none of us do, to go to heaven right now and bring Christ down. None of us have the ability to go into the earth and resurrect ourselves. You don't have the ability to do that. Who does? Christ. It's a no-brainer. Only Christ could go up into heaven. Only Christ can go down into the earth and rise again because He is perfect in righteousness. The word we're preaching is believe in Christ. You're stumbling and missing salvation if your faith is in being good or keeping God's law to please God. And I love the phrase, the word is near you, verse 8. In your mouth, in your heart. You don't have to go anywhere and do anything for this. Faith, trusting Christ, believing in Christ right where you are. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to come to the front. You don't have to join a small group. You don't have to do anything to get faith. It's near you. It's in you. It's right with you. You simply have to have the right object of faith. You must look at Christ, and you can do that right where you are. Look at Christ and say, I need Christ. I can't go into heaven. I can't be raised from the earth. I need 
Christ. Only he can do that. Only he has obviously kept the law. Only he is righteous. I need his righteousness applied to me. I need him to be my substitute. I need him to master me. I need him to be Lord over me. You can do that right here today. It's near you. You don't have to go anywhere. No pilgrimage to get there. You can do it. It's right where you are. It's a word of faith. All are commanded to obey. But we failed. Christ alone has succeeded. Our allegiance needs to be with Christ. Now verse 9 and 10. It says that if you confess, so you, this word's near you, what, what do you need to do? Confess, verse 9, with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Just speak it. Just pray it. Just believe it. It's parallel statements. It's not telling you to do two things. It's really just telling you to do one thing. Verse 10, for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. The results are the same. Whether you see it as something that's in the heart, whether you see it as something you speak, it's, it's a confession, it's a belief that Christ is your only hope for salvation. You believe in him. You confess he is your Lord. Um, that's God's word to you. Verse 11 is the promise. 11, 12, 13. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. It, just, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Greek. Same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Obviously, call on him with faith. It's the context. Verse 13. Because whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the calling on the name of the Lord is, again, a parallel statement to believing, having faith in Christ for your salvation alone. I was waiting with a lady, talking with a lady. Somebody had introduced me to her. I didn't know her. And uh, she was coming back, pick her up, and said, can you just sit, sit with my friend until I get back? I said, Sure. And uh, so I just tried to strike up a conversation. And I said, um, well, where are y'all headed? And she said, well, to be honest, I'm headed to court. I said, okay, well, what's, what's going on? She said, I'm getting a divorce today. And I said, uh, wow. I said, that must be disappointing. And she said, to say the least, it's been a disappointing life, a disappointing marriage it's a disappointing day to, to admit failure and not success and to go forward. And um, I said, uh, well, uh, not to be too presumptuous or whatever, but uh, have, have you tried Jesus? And she laughed. <laughs> have I tried Jesus? She said, I have tried everything in the Bible. I've tried church. I've tried what the Bible says. I've tried Jesus. She looked at me and she's like, done. I said, yeah, none of it worked, did it? And she was kind of shocked that I would say that. I said, you probably went to church. The preacher probably told you to keep the commands and you needed to keep them even more. And if you weren't succeeding, you needed to try harder. And you probably tried harder and you created a great little biblical system and it just didn't work. She says, can I ask you what you do for a living? 
I said, sure. I said, I'm a preacher. She said, well, you're not a very good one. <laughs> I said, um, are you familiar with Ezekiel 36, verse 27? She said, no, I'm not sure I am. I said, um, well, Ezekiel 36, 27 is God's promise. It's God's new covenant. He says he's going to take place in the New Testament. And what God promises is the Holy Spirit will come into a person's life and the Holy Spirit will cause you to keep God's commands. I says, your problem is that you have been trying to keep God's commands, trying harder. You've been trying to do it in your own strength. You don't need more commands. You don't need to try harder. I says, what you need is Jesus. You don't need to try Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus. You need faith in Jesus. You need to embrace Jesus. Jesus must be your only hope. You must plead with Jesus to fill you with Jesus, His Spirit, and only with His Spirit will you have the ability to keep the commands and you shall be saved and you will not be disappointed. And she said, I need Jesus. I said, yes, ma'am. You need Jesus. How do I get him? I said, the word's near. You just believe. You just embrace the concept that you can't do it. You don't have the ability. You need Jesus to save you, to master you, to be your Lord. You confess that He is Lord. You're no longer in charge. He is your Savior. And she, she said, how do I do that? Can you say something? I said, absolutely not. Am I going to say something? I don't want to give you a program. I don't want to give you a method. I don't even want to give you a prayer at this point that you repeat after me. This must be your belief. You must believe. You must confess with your mouth. You must believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. She says, okay. And she prayed, Lord, come into my life. And God saved her. And her, she didn't go to court. And saved her marriage. She quit stumbling. She quit missing it. So many times we stumble and we miss. The good news is simply believe in Jesus. He's all we need. Some people say, well, if I don't do good works and I don't believe, then that means it, it, it's just hearing and believing. That doesn't seem to be enough. Third point, if you think hearing and believing is not enough, you're missing it. Because the answer is, everything that's been said to this point, the answer is that hearing and believing is enough. But if you think it's not enough and you've got to add one more thing, you're still stumbling. And you're still missing it. Because it's based literally at that point on that one more thing. Instead of simply on hearing Jesus and believing in Him. 
if Christ is available to all, then what must we do? We should proclaim him. We should preach him. You see, that's exactly where it goes. Verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? How do I do this? How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. It's God sending preachers. Verse 16, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith, verse 17, comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The message must first of all be communicated. You see that in verse 14. You've got to preach it. You've got to communicate it. How? Through preachers. Verse 15. How will they hear unless preachers are sent? The scripture says we need to support preaching. In this internet age, we're getting away from that. We need to support preaching. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul makes a big deal about it. Make sure your tithes and offerings support preaching. Preaching needs to happen or the gospel doesn't go out. And it's not just in 2 Corinthians uh, 9. It's in 1 Thessalonians 5. It's in 1 Timothy 5. It's in Hebrews 13. It's in 1 Peter 5. There's so many places God says we need the preaching of the Word of God. Make sure you have it. You beg God to send preachers because he, they have to be sent men. Sent by God. You beg God to send out preaching. Because if we don't have the preaching, we won't hear. If we don't hear, we won't believe. If we don't believe, we won't be saved. Now, I was sharing with someone recently. says, you know, I don't know about uh, going to church. I don't know about, uh, you know, during the pandemic and all of that. I said, you've got to be under the preaching of the Word of God. Why? So I, I can look up and I can Google just about anything I want on the internet. So why do I have to be under preaching? I said, because of this text. This is God's ordained means. It doesn't say, how will they hear without a husband? How will they hear without a wife? How will they hear without a good friend? It doesn't say, how will they hear without a school teacher? How will they hear without mom and dad? No, it says, how will they hear without a preacher? Something very specific is going on here. Many times we have taken the power away from the foolishness of preaching. What's a preacher's job? Look at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. This is basically it. Ephesians 4. 11 and 12 says this. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastor teachers. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The preacher's job is to preach. And preach in such a way, the congregation, the moms and dads, the school teachers, and all those people I mentioned a minute ago, they are equipped with the good word of Christ and the power of Christ through that word that the whole body can be built up in love. But it starts with preaching. That's God's way of bringing faith to his people. 
we've got to get under that and embrace that message that that's the way God wants it to be communicated, support it, get it out. God raises up preachers. Uh, verse 16, Isaiah, quoting Isaiah uh, of Romans 10 says, however, they did not all heed the good news. So preachers preach. Isaiah says they preach, but they, I preached. I was a prophet and I preached, but a lot of people don't believe. Well, that's a problem because it all comes back to faith. But he didn't say quit preaching, try something else. No, you keep preaching. But a lot of people don't believe. And of course, he's going back even to the Jew. The Jews aren't believing. Now the Gentiles are, are believing. And they're not even trying. It comes through preaching. It comes through faith, hearing the word of Christ and embracing it and believing it. All we need to do is hear Jesus and respond to Jesus. God's voice has gone out, verses 17 through 20. It's all about, verse 18, but I, assure, I say surely that they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. It goes on. Yes, some people listen, some people don't listen. Um, verse 21, uh, well, let me just read verse 20. Isaiah is very bold and says, I have found by those who did not seek me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. It's like my preaching seemed to have the most effect upon those who weren't seeking. But they believed, verse 21, God's response. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. That's the saddest part of a preacher's life. Same thing that God refers to as sad. He says, all day long, I'm holding out my hands and I'm offering grace to sinners. And they don't believe. They just don't believe. It's that easy. Just fall into the arms of grace. Just all day long, I preach. And all I have to do is believe. And they go off and create some program, some recovery method of doing works and obtaining success through keeping laws. When faith comes by hearing the word preached and believing in Christ alone for salvation. Are you stumbling? Are you missing salvation by thinking it's gained? through good works, through the law, instead of seeing it's believing Christ and believing Christ is enough. Our salvation is a stumbling block salvation. Christ is the stumbling stone. Many people stumble over Christ and say, can't, that can't be enough. Surely I got to do something and I got to work some plan in order to get to heaven. And he says, believe that Christ is enough, that his righteousness will be applied to you. He will be your substitute. You just believe Christ is the end of everything. He satisfies every record, every righteous requirement. You embrace Christ. You know, being the 4th of July, it's a day to remember 
our independence from Great Britain, our freedom as a nation. But the greatest freedom as believers is a freedom not from Great Britain, but a freedom from sin and a freedom from death. And the only way to get that independence, that salvation, that freedom is through Christ. Believe Christ is satisfied everything God requires of you and will substitute himself for you. Believe in Christ and you shall be saved. There are people here this morning saying, man, I've been stumbling over this all my life. Well, let today be the day you walk without stumbling. Let today be the day you say, Christ, it's, I finally see it. It's you, and it's you alone. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I confess you, not me, for good works. Let that be your prayer. Right where you are, it's, it's near you. You don't have to go anywhere and do anything else. Just trust Christ, and you shall be saved. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this good word. Thank you for not keeping us in the dark, for illumination, for enlightening our minds to see where we so frequently miss it. When there's so many people around us, good people who are missing Christ, show us Christ. Let our faith be in Christ and Christ alone. Father, for those who need further counsel and help, may they seek out true believers, those who truly believe in Christ. Forbid us for putting more into the gospel than is there. May we tell our friends, may we tell our kids, may we tell our family, it's faith in Christ alone. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.